Welcome back to the Talking Thomas podcast, your podcast for all things Thomas and Friends, Shining Time Station, Railway Series, etc., etc. I am Tony. And I'm Orion. And uh, we're here to do another of uh, commentary of the Shining Time Station one-hour family specials, which are celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. Uh, of course, they've released throughout 1995, although there is some debate as to when they actually aired that year. Uh, I'll get into that later. But uh, we're doing the second and my personal favorite of the specials, Second Chances, which for the longest time uh, was only available partially. Um, but now it is available at its full length. And so... Uh, uh, have that pulled up, and you can press play now. Um, yeah, what to say about second chances? There is only only so many things I can think of to say about it. Uh, it, as I said, it's one of my favorite episodes um, of. It's my favorite of the specials, but one of my favorite episodes in general, and. That maybe has something to do with the fact that it's one of the episodes I saw most frequently as a kid. But in general, I just think it's a really good episode. So, yeah, you know, something nice about this episode is that it does focus quite a bit on um, on Billy, who uh, was uh, not used as much as he probably should have been throughout the throughout the series um but that's partially I mean, just the nature of the character is not really that exciting to uh to write for or to uh to watch necessarily and, and not a fault of tom jackson in any way just just the way the character was developed and written yeah it, it's unfortunate because of the adult characters billy seems to be the one that's given the least attention i mean even harry got a few good uh, episodes uh, back in season one and beyond season one as well. But, uh, but Billy, for, for being in there a season longer than, uh, than Harry, doesn't really ever get that much attention outside of, you know, even the episodes that have his name in the title aren't directly about him, per se. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, there's the Thanksgiving episode, which... Billy's a part of, but we don't really learn anything about him aside from the fact that he's invited to this uh, dinner for Thanksgiving. And there's one or two other Billy-themed episodes, per, but they don't really have that much to do with him at all. Whereas this one really does. Um, now, one of the most notable differences about this episode, in and I mentioned in the last one that the family specials or at least the first two seem to uh, be spiritual sequels to previous episodes. This one being uh, a follow-up to field day, but the major change from this is that the baseball team's steamer coaches here is the scooters. Whereas in field day, it was the steamer team uh, and the uniforms of course have changed from yellow to blue. And I kind of prefer the blue, honestly. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree. Once again, kind of odd. I mean, do these people ever work? Uh, <laughs> JB King is an umpire, apparently. <laughs> you know, it's just 
it's it's part of the problem if you have a show about a about a railroad in that the railroad never sleeps so these people really you know theoretically wouldn't have that much time to hang out and have fun but they seem to manage <laughs> they do uh it it is kind of amusing that the superintendent of an entire railway network has time to be an umpire for little league so uh, <laughs> i love this bit where he's uh, curled up on the on the bench it's funny um the whole ongoing steamer storyline in this episode was funny What are your thoughts on uh, on uh, Felix? Um, I gotta be honest. Um, he's okay. I I I don't really have that many thoughts on him, to be honest. Um, I yeah, he he appears every now and then, but except for one or two episodes, maybe he's never the main focus of a story. I mean, obviously, none of the side characters really are. He's he's okay, I guess. I I don't dislike him. Uh, what about you? Yeah, no, I mean, I just uh, not the strongest uh, performance, I I think, among the supporting characters. Right. Um, it just uh, kind of a, and probably again, a lot of that goes down to the writing. Just yeah, it has the problem with Shiny Time Station in general, and especially these specials, is that they have to uh, there's so many characters that they kind of have to spread out the line. So it becomes kind of a clunky, uh, you know, just row of uh, different pieces of dialogue that are basically interchangeable and they could be said by any character. Right. Um, other than schemer who's you know, very character specific. So, right. And in this scene, we are of course introduced to the newest member of the shining time station team Kit Two Feathers, played by Bucky Hill. Once again, is this on um, the? This is the same railway they used in Once Upon a Time. Yep, South Simcoe Railway up in Canada, uh, Ontario, uh, Tottenham region. Yes. Uh, in fact, I might. It might even be the same train. But... I would imagine, probably so. Yes. <laughs> um. But I like that little piece of music that was used there. It's. Very unshining time station like piece of music. So it is. Um, and Stacy Hirsch, who was the composer for uh, this, and I think most of the specials, if not most of the show itself, uh, she has a lot of great musical cues throughout the series. But um, that piece of music, which I've dubbed as Kit's theme, because it appears quite a bit in in this storyline. Um, which you know focuses on Kit. Uh, it's one of my favorite pieces of music. It's it's just gorgeous. I wish I could find it isolated somewhere, but unfortunately, that's not likely. <laughs> so now, what's interesting to me about, or one one of the many things I should say that's interesting to me about Kit is that he is the only kid actor, aside, or the only kid aside from Steamy, who doesn't meet Mr. Conductor. Now, I say that 
one could point out Vicky from Tis a Gift, but Vicky at least saw Mr. Conductor, whereas I don't believe Kit ever does. True. Um, so. And I wonder why that is. I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting question because Kit was clearly meant to be uh, one of the main characters. In fact, he, after this episode, he replaces one of the previous main characters. Uh, and so I, I'm not sure if the show had gone on, maybe Kit would have met Mr. Conductor eventually. But also Kit seems to be at least slightly older than the other kids as well. Or at least more mature. Sure. That doesn't stop Stacy or Billy. Very true. <laughs> you go through a lapse. When you turn 12, you don't see Mr. Conductor. When you turn 30, you see him again. That's right. That's right. Um, so, so here, of course, you know, um, I, I always find the scene that I always find that scene interesting because Dan and Kara sort of take offense to Kit taking offense to them going through his stuff. Even though these kids are at the train station all the time, you wouldn't just go through someone's bag, surely. True. Um, and so, I mean, I get their kids and stuff, but come on. <laughs> That's just me. But, uh, yeah. So... And I mean, these kids are all too old to be. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but Daniel Martot is like she she's grown at least a foot since season three, <laughs> and they all they're all quite a bit older than they were in seasons two and three. Clearly, so you know they are they are all too old. Um, yeah, and here we have our first Thomas story, Grandpa, um, which is just. Great. Um, oh yes, one of the best episodes of of season four. Mm-hmm. It's it's fantastic. Um, and again, it's interesting in that uh, I, we we mentioned when we did Once Upon a Time that Once Upon a Time is kind of like a story within a story because you know we have the Thomas stories, and then Mister Conductor is narrating the Shining Time Station episode itself. Here we have a story within a story within a story. Um, because we have Mr. Conductor telling a Thomas story. Thomas telling the story of Duke. And as we'll see in a minute here, Duke tell him the story of Smudger. So, we're, it's like... All of a sudden we're in Memento. Or Inception. I was gonna... I was, <laughs> Memento works too. Um... But it was, I was going to say, it's, it's, like, it's, it's like the Shining Time Station version of Inception before Inception is even made. <laughs> What's interesting about the beginning of this episode, just to go back to the Shining Time Station aspect, is that <laughs> the beginning of the episode is so eerily quiet and yeah. weirdly paced. Um, kind of bizarre compared to the busyness and the, the immediate jump into the story of... Um, of Once Upon a Time. Right. This really is just taking a, a slow, easy way into the story. That's, um, I, I'm i not a fan of it, but um, I think Once Upon a Time definitely starts a lot stronger if we're, if we're comparing the, those two anyway. Yes. No, I, I, would, I would say, 
Um, I once upon a time does have a stronger start. I will give it that. Um, but but these are all very different episodes. I mean, even though obviously they're all they have a lot in common because you know they're all one hour shining time station episodes. They're all very different types of episodes, you know. Um, and so yeah, I I I, I do agree. Um, Second chances uh, opening is not to everyone's taste. So. Because and and again, I mean, kind of, kind of like with the last one, the way that they tie this into they they tie Grandpa into the story of Second Chances is just kind of yeah, not. I mean, it's not graceful in any way. (laughs) It would never suit his grace. Ah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So no, uh, no, um, I mean. Yeah, it's it's not a great tie-in, um, but I don't know that there, like so many of the Shining Time episodes that we've done previously, I don't know that there ever was going to be a great tie-in to this storyline. No, I agree, and I mean, I think this is where that kind of that method of telling the Shining Time stories and shoehorning in the Thomas story was was starting to. I mean, it was had started before, but this is really where they're on their kind of they're on their last legs in terms of uh, and really scraping the bottom of the barrel for an right. idea to tie the Thomas story into the Shining Time story. And it is interesting that you know the Shining Time's whole purpose was you know to bring Thomas to America, and so originally the story was sort of loosely crafted around the theme of the Thomas stories uh, of the week, the story or stories. By the time of really late in the season two and then all throughout season three and the specials, Shining Time itself sort of felt like it had outgrown uh, the Thomas stories to a point in that the stories they wanted to tell were so different than any of the Thomas stories that were out for their time that, you know, as you say, they do feel kind of shoehorned in just because, you know, they have to have at least one or more Thomas stories and in a one hour episode, there's no reason for them not to have two episode stories, I should say. So, but yeah, but, um, and the way Mr. Conductor tries to tie in the moral of that story is he's really fudging it. He's grasping at straws. I mean, cause you know, Duke was forgotten. Well, the story of Duke's not over, but the story of someone else who was forgotten is about to begin. So it's like, really, though, it's... Uh... <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's the one bit about Second Chances that just kind of gets to me all the time is the, the length that Mr. Conductor tries to go to to tie in the story. Um, the, Thomas, uh, the story of Duke, I should say. Either way. So here we have the first appearance of the special guest star for this episode, because as I said, all of the one hour specials had special guests and that would be Jack Klugman. And although we don't hear his character's name until I would say almost a third of the way through the episode, uh, he plays Max. 
I love the way that Tito says answer the door. Yes. Yes, the jukebox puppet band uh scene is fantastic. Uh all of this stuff. Um and this is the first time, of course, that any character from the outside world uh interacts in a meaningful way with the jukebox puppet band. And True, yeah, other than Schemer in the last episode. Well yeah, uh, that's... talking to JJ Silvers. But this is the first time that uh, Mr. Conductor specifically, which is interesting. I mean, you you would think maybe that opportunity would have been seized earlier, but um, but it's a nice it's a nice uh, aspect of the specials, and, it, and it's used in in more than one. So right. In in fact, from here on out, it sort of becomes the uh, the the way it is it, uh, from from this point on. It really second chances is kind of the turning point for. Uh, Shining Time Station, in that it 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 heralds the end of the show, the impending end of the show, but it also kind of is all change in that it changes up the cast a bit, uh, and it it just changes the way things are. We add in a new kid character who is slightly different to the rest of them, and we add in the idea that Mister Conductor can interact with the Jukebox Puppet Band, which th- these these scenes are all fantastic, and I would have. You know, um, I, I don't know how much interaction George Carlin actually had with the Fletch the Tunes group. I imagine they must have had some amount of interaction. Uh, obviously, George Carlin's bits were all filmed on a green screen, but they must have had some sort of interaction because the, the way they play off each other is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's an interesting idea. I mean, if he can go anywhere, then then why couldn't he go with, you know, into the into the jukebox um but uh but it's probably for the best that the state this concept stayed in the world of shining time station and was never transported to the big screen because <laughs> seeing those puppets on the big screen would have just been a little uh scary yeah it's uh it would have been i mean and you you hear all sorts of things about like if there were ever to be a movie you know uh if the jukebox puppet band were to have been in a movie that would have had shining time station, it wouldn't have worked. It it would have been worse than any other movie about shining time station could have been really. No, I agree. And what, what would be, would be really interesting is if Mr. Conductor then, um, after these specials, Mr. Conductor has told the kids all of the possible Thomas stories that he knows. So then he goes, now that he's gone to the jukebox, he now tells the jukebox puppet band all of their stories. Huh. That would have been something. I, I don't know what, but something. <laughs> <laughs> now, I love this song. Um, and, and that's, you know, I was talking about the music in this special, or we were, I should say, talking about the music in this special earlier. Uh, the Jukebox Puppet Band, all throughout the specials, does some fantastic songs, but this is one of my favorites, uh, Down in the Valley. Uh, I don't know why, but it's just, there's, there's just something about uh, the, the way that Grace sings it and the tune and everything. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So... And there's, 
I mean, I know this is obviously set up for their big storyline later, but there's just this weird moment between Max and Kit where they just sort of stare each other down. And, you know, it's, oh, man. Ever since I was a kid, that scene just sort of gives me, you know, um, not chills per se, but like, I can't really think of anything else that's equivalent to that, but in a good way, if you know what I mean. Um, hmm. I just really love this episode, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, someone has to, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, someone has to. Um, and again, uh, these exterior scenes, uh, South Simcoe Railway. Uh, and I really... Nice, nice to have a night shot there. It is. It is. Um, I, I like this, this locomotive yard. It's, it's a nice set, you know? Um, but who puts a nickel in a jukebox and then walks away while the song's playing? Yeah, that's a little... Uh, that's something. And you know, that song must have played a lot longer than we heard it for because... Not only does Max put the nickel in the jukebox, leave, he makes it all the way back to his house. And so how long does that how how long does that song play for? I mean, obviously his house can't be too far because it's just in the signal box, but still. So now um the the shack or signal box that Le- Max lives in is actually the ticketing office for uh, the South Simcoe Railway in Tottenham. Hmm. So, I mean, all of the specials were filmed there, but, you know, making... It's nice to see them making good use of that location, and they do use quite a bit of it, as we'll see throughout this one and uh, the remaining two specials. Yeah, as we said in the last uh, in our commentary on Once Upon a Time, they really opened up the world of of Shining Time, right? But yeah, a lot of the music in this episode is very unlike Shining Time Station, or at least what we've heard previously, and. Yeah, I mean, this is the this is Phil Collins doing the Shining Time Station soundtrack. It was, <laughs> if only. <laughs> now, now, we talked about people being too old for this. Look at Jonathan Shapiro. Yeah, way too old to be in this anymore. I mean, now obviously Jonathan Shapiro was you know the oldest of the kids, but he, even saying that he's he's clearly he's gone through puberty in fact his voice is deeper i do like schemer's hat like the dollar sign yes yes and again the uniforms are just a lot i mean because they obviously have more budget to put into it not that the uniforms in field they were bad but the uniforms here are just, they look much nicer. Either Daniel Marcotte has gotten quite a bit taller, which I'm sure she has, or Bucky Hill is just shorter. 
I think he is quite short, but also she got taller. Yes. Now, when I was a kid, um, you know, because I, when I was little, at least I didn't know the names of episodes or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I referred to this as the baseball special. Uh, when I was a kid, just because, just because, again, I, I had no reason to know the names of it or anything like that. And I was four when this, four or five when this came out. Um, and so all I knew was that it had a lot to do with baseball. And so uh, when my parents, this is one of the three specials that my parents fill, um, you know, had recorded. And so um, w- w- when they were labeling them, uh, uh, Once Upon a Time was the Cowboy special for obvious reasons. And this was the baseball special. So. I like the scenes between Billy and Kit. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, Billy's a, a nice character and Tom Jackson had a very lovely speaking voice. Oh, yes. Very much so. I thinking about it, I find it interesting that this is my favorite episode because even though I love Shining Time Station, this is probably the least light Shining Time Station. I think that this episode is the most different episode there is. You know, because we spend a lot of it, uh, spend most of the episode outside of the station. We spend a lot of it at night, actually. And most of it is spent with uh, people that we've only just been introduced to. Now, one could say that for Once Upon a Time as well. But at least most of the main characters had major roles in it. Where here, the stars of the episodes are clearly Kit and Max. Now, why can't this guy just be less mysterious? That's a great Does he have to creep everyone out? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, one would think uh, that he would try to be less creepy, but then where would the story be? Very true. So, um, but, but it is a good point, uh, you know, for, for living in the signal box of the station, uh, of, of the railway, rather, or that part of the railway, you would think he'd be less mysterious. And do these people ever go home or ever get out of their uh, uniforms? Well, well, they did. They're in, the, they're, they're in them literally day and night. Well, well, they did in Once Upon a Time, if you remember, because they were in their Founders Day gear at Seth Billy, who always wears that clothing, apparently. Well, I meant the kids in the, in the baseball uniform. Oh, that! Oh, no. That's what I mean. They, they've literally been wearing them day and night. Yeah, those... And they I, don't go home, apparently. They just hang out at the station. Well, yes. I mean, I, I, I can almost see Dan hanging around um, because of Stacy. Because I assume Stacy's his ride home. Uh, Becky and Tara, I don't know what their excuse is. So. His bonding scene between Kit and Billy is nice as well. Um, you know... Obviously, we've said before that Billy is, uh, you know, 
he's, he's a very kind person um, just in general. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, Tom Jackson has a wonderful voice to listen to. But I just really like the uh, bond that those two actors have in, in, in what is essentially, they only appear together twice. Um, they, they only appear together in two episodes, but their chemistry is great. And like I said, he, he, a lot of the episode is without any of the major players from Shining Time, except for maybe Billy and the kids. Um, now this, of course, we're, we're about just over, just about halfway through the episode, and we finally hear anything out of our special guest, Jack Klugman. Um, Which is quite different from Once Upon a Time, where Ed Begley Jr. was there right from the beginning, pretty much. Right. And, it, and it's not even that he wasn't there. I mean, he was there. He just never said anything. Ed Bedley Jr. at least had some dialogue in his first scene, whereas uh, Jack Klugman doesn't until almost halfway through the episode. Um, and, you know, th- this does, this scene does at least give us some insight as to why uh, Max doesn't talk that much. And it's based, um, well, it, it, within the episode, he says that his voice is rusty and he doesn't talk to people much. Uh, but the real answer, of course, is that only about if you figure this was purportedly aired sometime in early mid 95, uh, Jack Klugman had only had about a year and a half earlier uh, throat surgery in which he uh, lost one of his vocal cords. And that's actually the way that he spoke for the rest of his, in fact, his voice would uh, continue to go downhill for the rest of his life. But uh, this was only about a year and a half after the, uh, vocal cord surgery in which he lost one of them to I want to say cancer um, but yeah that's what he sounded like um, personally yeah well and again this is another example of um, mining the uh, really mining the uh the lore of Americana yes. for a subject for Shining Time in terms of this is baseball and right. the last one, Cowboys, and you know, I mean, things like that. It's yes. um, once again, exploring that general world. It is. I love that jacket Kit's wearing as well. The red and black jacket. That's a really nice one. Mm-hmm. It's the most shocking part of the episode. The scoreboard of the of the Little League baseball uh, team was vandalized. <laughs> Shock. Yes. Well, no. <laughs> yes, though. I... Ginny's outfit is quite loud, even for her. Because normally Schemer's the one with a loud outfit, but, uh, you know, the it's a very sharp pink that Ginny's wearing. Um, so we're back to the jukebox again, and these are one of the, these are some of the best scenes as well. Um, you know, I like the uh, the whole subplot, and it it runs throughout the rest of the specials of Dee Dee having a crush on Mister Conductor. That's cute. Yeah, it is. 
So now the uh, <laughs> well, George Carlin's line reading on really good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he unfortunately, I mean, he was a very gifted comedian, but unfortunately, most of what he actually had to do on Shine Time wasn't very funny. It wasn't, though. That's the thing. He mostly was, he would kind of tell like corny jokes, maybe, or kind of be there as fun. But the funniest stuff in Shine Time was either the jukebox puppet band, typically, or Schemer. Right. Pretty much everything else, everything Mr. Conductor did was not terribly actually comedy in any way it was kind of just facilitating the plot or very true you know it's interesting and 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 obviously you know that is sad for george carlin being a comedian as well um obviously they couldn't have him do his normal routine that wouldn't have flown on a kid's show i mean but uh but but come on they could have given him something surely i like Dee's outfit too Didi's outfit's great. Um, in fact, I think everyone in this has has a great outfit. Um, yeah, two dots, two dots, a little engineer's cap, which is fun. Yes, yeah. The jukebox express. The jukebox express. Yes, uh, this was one of my this was one of my favorite bits as well. Uh, all of the music in this is among my favorite bits, um, and you know it's of course a medley. Uh, Skipped my Lou, freight train, and. Um, I don't recall what the last song is, but it you know, obviously it has something to do with picking cotton. So, hmm. little um, interesting, uh, their choice of this song, you know? Yeah, maybe a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but uh, let's not dwell on that because um, we're back to Billy and Kit now. Um, What's interesting, actually, I was just thinking about when when we saw the Jukebox Express there. um, Right. What's kind of interesting is that had Shining Time Station um, gone on for a little bit longer, or rather had had Learning Curve introduced Thomas Wooden Railway earlier, earlier than 92 or 93, I wonder if um, something would have lined up where there would have been tie-in merchandise like exclusive wooden railway shining time merchandise or at least you know in any meaningful way you know i know the boxes at one point and uh specifically the Ertl packaging featured shining time station right but um but i i you know just that just made me think about like shame they never had an exclusive shining time uh wooden railway item or something and honestly i'm a little surprised they didn't because again this was released in 95 learning curve was already doing a bunch of uh, Thomas stuff. So it's surprising to me that the Jukebox Express never became a thing and that there was no uh, Shining Time tie-ins, really, outside of a certain movie. But uh, True, there is an official Shining Time station station building, um, which I own somewhere. Oh, nice. Um, This subplot's been fun as well, with um, Schemer constantly... He basically becomes catatonic for almost half of the episode because of uh, Coach Sludgebolt. And I I don't know why, but the concept of throwing him in Ginny's pond to thaw him out, as they call it, just (laughs) amuses me. So... 
Now, what's interesting here, of course, um, Kara teases her about it, of course, but it's clear to me, at least, and I, I'm sure other people will have picked up on it, that there's something between Becky and Kit. Obviously, the show is for kids. They're both, like, nine or, well, probably older now, but, you know, so they couldn't really do anything or show anything, but there's very clearly, like, affection of some sort. True. Uh, and now we're here back on, on Sodor again with another Thomas story, Sleeping Beauty. Yes. Um, which, which really, Grand Puff and Sleeping Beauty are practically... I mean, you can't have... You, you, you can't have one without the other, really. Because uh, they complete the story. And so, uh, obviously, it made sense that if they were going to include Grand Puff, they had to include Sleeping Beauty. So. I like, I like how they... Um, how, how they excuse away the fact that Mr. Conductor spends the first minute telling them things that they already know in that Becky missed out on the first part of the story. So, uh, yeah, true. I mean, yeah. Very, yeah, it, true and clever because, I mean, they had to think of a way like, well, these kids are already watching this and this just happened less than half an hour ago. You right. Know, I don't think these people are going to forget it, but I suppose. I mean, when you're watching it on home video on on the VHS at home, I mean, it was it, they were back to back, so. Right. You know, so it's interesting, but. When is where they, they were back to back? Well, they were. Um, and yeah. whereas when they aired like on television in the UK, I don't know if they necessarily were back to back because I think. And please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure someone will, uh, but I think they only showed like one or two episodes at a time in the UK. Well, they could have paired Grand Puff and Sleeping Beauty together. I would imagine that they did, but I'm not sure. Right. Well, don't forget, though, they also had Bulldog and um, He Can't Win, but I can't see them pairing those two up with... I, I, I can't see them pairing either of those up with Grand Puff, so you're right, they probably would have paired up with Sleeping Beauty. So. Again, another one of the... I mean, it's so... I mean, it's just impossible to say that there's a bad episode in season four so this is great oh yes yes um, it's it's really gorgeous and much like um much like the overall story of second chances this is something that unless you had the rusty to the rescue vhs you wouldn't have seen anything like this on thomas before you know um now i and you know you can say that you know the episode this thomas story is within um uh within once upon a time were like this but really the only narrow gauge section of that was rusky and we spent more time on the standard gauge line with stepney than we did anyone else so I don't know why, but this bit always sort of <clears throat> was a bit off-putting to me. Just like the cobwebs and the extreme close-up on Duke's face at one point, just sort of to me as a kid was kind of off-putting. Sure. I don't know why, but um... well, and it's interesting to think too. Going back to the the placement of these stories in this particular episode, it's interesting to think that had these specials been made earlier. 
what Thomas episodes they would have used from season three or season two or, you know, one. Right. Um, so that's, yeah, that's an interesting thing to, to think about. It's an interesting thing to think about, but I can't really think of any story that would fit with this, you know? Um, no, but maybe they would have written a different story for the Shining Time portion to match closer to the Thomas, you know, I mean, that's true. Who knows what necessarily came first, whether consciously or not. Right. But, uh, but one of the appeal, one of the appealing things I'm sure about doing the specials was that they had this whole new batch of 26 episodes to work with. Right. They didn't use them all. They still have them. Right. Um, available. But what's interesting though, is that they did not, you, you would think, oh, well, we're doing these four Shining Times episodes. So we'll have eight, thomas episode or we'll have you know we'll have eight thomas episodes to use so why don't we use all of the standard gauge episodes and right. none of the narrow gauge episodes which, which because is these are the characters that the kids are familiar with right but interesting yeah. that they didn't but it, it merchandising, is. i suppose it is and you know that's um of course they use the remaining um both standard and narrow gauge episodes for mr conductor's thomas tales but um it's just sure, all, all of them. Did they end up using all? Of them? I don't know if it was all of them or not. I I think because I think there were four in each in each Mister Conductor's Thomas Tale episode. Is that correct? Um, or three, three in a song. Well, no, there was actually about uh, four. I I want to believe. I want to say that there were. Um, that in fact, there were five stories and one song per episode. Okay, so then, and how many episodes were there? Um, there were, I believe, there was a total of six episodes. And no, they didn't, uh, they didn't use, oh. uh, there were six episodes altogether. Uh, each, of course, half an hour, like the standard, like the standard Shining Time Station episode, where they didn't use all of the season four episodes, uh, but they used several of them uh, throughout the, uh, they used several of the season four episodes uh, in in Mr. Conductor's Thomas Tales. Not all. There were several repeats from seasons one through three as well. But, uh... I like J.B. King's vest in that scene. It's nice. It's a nice vest. So. This was one of my favorite scenes. Um, this scene between Max and Kit. And it's just... Mm. I really enjoy it. Um, so, I'm trying to figure out the logo on that jacket, though, because yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, me either. I, I don't know if it maybe it was just like made up for the episode or anything like that, but I I don't know if it's a real logo or not. Um, that I just find it interesting. Yeah, and unfortunately, Bucky Hill wasn't better than most of the other child actors, so... Um, no. No, he wasn't. Um, let, let, let's face it, none of these kid actors were destined for stardom. No, not really, unfortunately. <laughs> And the thing is, like, because I say that Second Chances is my favorite, I don't know why. 
like I, I can never place my finger on what it is, but there's just something about this episode that I really enjoy. Maybe it's, you know, the fact that it is so different. Uh, maybe it's the fact that I like Jack Klugman quite a bit as an actor. Uh, I love him in The Odd Couple. Uh, I know other people will have seen him in Quincy and uh, a few other, several other things he's done quite a bit. But I don't know, there's just something about this episode that I really enjoy. We just passed over uh, Ginny and uh, Midge Smooch set up there at the at the game, which is Oh, fun. yes. It's great. And like you were saying, what's what what's more American than baseball? You know, I mean these these or Canadian in this particular instance. Well, yes, because it is in in Ontario, <laughs> but um, but you know, because Shining Time is supposed to be anywhere, any town, USA, basically. Even though it's filmed in Toronto, it is, I think, supposed to be an American railway station. Um, you know, because they do celebrate American Thanksgiving and. Uh, such as that, even though they have Canadian locomotives. Um, but. And they have an American, they have a conductor with an American accent who talks about um, trains that are on a British island. They do. Uh, this was another great scene between Kit and Billy. Um, all I think all of Kit and Billy's Kit and Billy and Kit and Matt's they have all three of them have great uh, on screen chemistry. Again, Bucky Hill might not be the best actor per se, but um, I I think all of Jack Plugman's scenes in general are great, and um, this is as we've said many times already, Tom Jackson's episode to shine. Yeah, no, absolutely, I think. He does a great job in this in this particular episode. Some episodes he's kind of just there, um, right? Yeah, but in this one he's definitely very present and uh, and has some nice little nice little moments. Yeah. Now there's an interesting portrait on the station wall that I was I've been meaning to point out since we since I, I think it first appears at the beginning of the episode. But there's a portrait that is a. Um, it's a piece of promotional art for the Canadian Pacific Railway's uh, Scenic Dome Trans Canada train, the Canadian. So that's kind of amusing to me. Uh, it's yeah. based on a piece of artwork by Roger Cooliard. So This bit here with Steamer and Steamy, um, it's, it's the one time, aside from that one episode where uh, Steamer uh, punishes Steamy by combing down his curl, it's the one time that we see Steamer and Steamy not working together, which is, which is interesting, you know, because normally they're always working together, but uh, Steamy's working against Steamer in this, and it's it's so funny to see them get into an actual argument, <laughs> or not an argument so much as Steamer just telling, you know, just benching Steamy for the rest of the game. So. I like I like the line that uh, um, I think it's uh, Kara who says 
none of us have ever hit a home run before. And Schemer says, well, uh, now's a good time to start <laughs> or never a better time to start. Or yes. <laughs> yeah, never a bad time to start. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, now this bit... And this is quite interesting. Jukebox Papa Fan outside of the jukebox. I, I was going to say, I don't know that we've ever seen this before. Um, Which is odd, I suppose, but... I mean, is. in a sense, I guess, but... Um, when you think about the fact that it's only really the previous episode that's ever in any great detail ventured outside of Shining Time, it's not that odd to see the jukebox, to, to think that this is the first time we've seen them outside of the jukebox. Uh, because that's a good, that's a very good point, actually. I mean, yeah, so, it, but, but it is odd to see them outside of it in general. Uh, I think it, it works nicely with the story. I, I just think it's funny that they're limited to the popcorn machine. Well, true. And what's also funny is that Dee Dee was refusing, wanting to leave, and then is now refusing to leave because of the doctor. Of course. Um, yeah, they could start. They can be. What's interesting is that you know, reflecting on the child affections and the uh, char- the other character affections is what's interesting is that they're able to to certainly have a much less subtle uh relationship between Dee Dee and Mr. Conductor versus the kids. Right. And and I was going to point out that this is, among other things, the first episode for um, you know, where aside from, you know, he loves me, he loves me not, where characters show any type of affection outside of familial or friendly. Um, you know, because like I said to, to me and a few others at least there's clearly something between Kit and Becky uh, but also between Dee Dee and Mr. Conductor and you're quite right in saying that um, they're able to be more um, they're, they're able to show more with Dee Dee and Mr. Conductor than they are with two kids <laughs> I like this this kind of pepped up version of uh, taking me out to the ball game it's very nice, and this is the second time that they would do this song. In fact, uh, it's funny, uh, obviously, this one was also done in Field Day, which makes total sense to me, but, you know. <laughs> so. And I like his little piano, wherever that That's great. That's a great little piano. Tito always finds to bring, finds a way to bring a keyboard of sorts with him. <laughs> now you would think Max would get in some sort of trouble for this because he is essentially, you know, well, he is in fact diverting a train entirely. He's causing lots of confusion and delay. <laughs> they need to top him hat to run this railway. <laughs> Better than J.B. King. J.B. King spends all his time umpiring the <laughs> games. In, in fact, these specials do show just how little time J.B. King spends doing his job. In in Once Upon a Time, he spends the entire episode trying to convince Mayor Flopdinger why he should win the costume contest. Here, he spends all his time, uh, you know, being an umpire. Um, we'll have to go back uh, when, when we do the other few specials later this month uh, to uh, to see what else he wastes time doing during the specials. 
there's at least one that I can think of, which is rather amusing, but we'll get to that in another episode or two. So, Oh, this bit. That's uh, very funny seeing Lynch Schmidt uh, in the, the Little League outfit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it's very amusing. I, I love that Steamer seems to believe that the, the baseball uniform and a pair of sunglasses will fool anybody. And and the sad part is that it actually works on JB King. It doesn't work on <laughs> Sledge Bolt, but it does on on the superintendent of a major railroad. <laughs> <laughs> but that bit with Midge pinching JB King's cheek. That is very funny. And I think we might have touched on this before, but uh, what are your thoughts? To me, at least, Midge is probably the best of the supporting characters. I would agree. Um, yeah, I mean, of the, the supporting townspeople, right. I would say that that's, uh, that's true. Certainly better than Ginny or Felix, who are pretty lifeless or warm air floptinger. Um, I would definitely say Midge Smoot is the best. Right. Oh, Sledgebolt just committed the cardinal sin. He touched Steamer's curl. <laughs> so that brought Steamer back. Yes, and it is funny that he's wearing the baseball cap, but the curl is sticking. Oh out yes, beside of the right. cap. Only Steamer. <sighs> so and I think th- it's funny that he calls her Miss Jones sometimes and sometimes Stacey. it is it really is um he does seem to go back and forth on that quite a bit. <laughs> the pitcher has a mullet. Well, it is uh, the mid-90s. Very true. That was a nice fall there. (laughs) Now, obviously they weren't going to be able to get a real baseball signed by the real Jim Thorpe because, you know, that's probably, uh, well, it's definitely a collector's item by now, but that is uh, not Jim Thorpe's signature. In fact, it's nowhere close. They have to make it legible, I suppose. That's true. Uh, For anyone who is interested, uh, there are pictures out there uh, of Jim Thorpe's real signature on a baseball. So those are available. Uh, 
The whole baseball team standing up for Kit. Great. This kid, what is up with that pitcher? <laughs> Taking the game very seriously, which is good in a sense, but. And, of course, Matt stabs his ball. Yeah, nice little touch. Yeah. And Mr. Conductor kisses Dee Dee's cheek. Oh, so cute. <laughs> so cute. And, and I, I just love this ending as well. It feels so triumphant because, you know, we start out with Kit, who's not really part of the group and kind of an outsider, even though it's kind of self-inflicted. Um, you know, and then by the end, he's part of the team. He and Billy are, uh, you know, on good terms again. And it's just, and, and he helped Schemer's uh, baseball team win the, uh, win the big game against the Snarleville Slashers, which is a fantastic name for a baseball team, by the way. Uh, but I just love this ending. Um, I mean, I know we're not at the final ending yet, but uh, just a really nice ending, I think. No, yeah, I agree. So, and um, it was nice to have Jack Ludman in the episode. Um, this bit as well, which is the actual end with uh, Be- um, Billy and Kit playing catch, was really. Really nice. And we have a nice uh, reprise of Kit's theme from the beginning of the episode as well. So, um, what's what is interesting, I think, about these specials is that both the, the specials both opened and ended with the standard theme songs. They did, yeah. They, did, they didn't do anything different. So, it's interesting that, like, it just. Like at the very end, oh, it, oh, it was another Shining Temptation episode. Just kind of interesting that they didn't do something different. That is interesting, isn't it? Um, now, this episode, of course, is the last appearance of Ari Magder as uh, as Dan Jones. Uh, he didn't appear in the final two Shining Temptation episodes, and it's it's pretty clear that they kind of knew Ari Madger wouldn't be around, and that's why Bucky Hill was brought in to play Kit. Because uh, even though Kit is clearly a different character uh, than Dan, they had to bring in another boy child. So, you know. Um, what is interesting is that in the credits, Grandpuff is spelled Grandpuff with a D. It is, which led to a lot of confusion for uh, for American audiences, uh, because it is uh, there's there's mislabel on that, and I think the earliest print of the Rescue to the Rescue VHS also had that misprint. Um, subsequent uh, printings of the uh, VHS would rectify that and have it with the proper title. But if I recall correctly, I believe I had the original 1995 VHS, and it did say grand puff on the back of it so um but that was second chances um perhaps not the best episode ever but it is 
my favorite of the specials and potentially one of my favorite Shining Time episodes in general. Although, as I said, it is totally different from most of the other Shining Time station episodes. We spend so much time outside of the station and very little of it actually is spent with Shining Time characters. I mean, obviously, Kate would become the new male child, but... Um, you know, he does become integrated into the group by the end, but it's just a very different episode and one that I particularly enjoy, despite how different it is. I understand that it's not for everybody, um, but yeah, it's it's just uh, uh, there's I, I don't know how much of it is there, how much left there is to say about that, but yeah, second chances, what an episode. Yeah. Um, so, and uh, we'll we're gonna keep moving on here and doing some more. Shining Time Station special. Yes. Uh, we'll have uh, one of the family and Queen for a Day yeah. left uh, to do. And uh, and then some more railway series discussions on the way. Yep. Uh, we'll start our Thomas and Friends Season 3 commentaries here shortly. Yep. Um, but you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, our home is Anchor, of course, and you can also listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, many other podcast platforms. And uh, thanks for listening. Yes, thank you so much. Have a good night.